Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforyoumc.org. Hey everyone, Scott Hansen here from NFL Red Zone. I hope you're checking out one hour of Five Yard Rush, one of the best podcasts on NFL football in the UK. Hello and welcome to the Five Yard Dynasty podcast. Uh, eagle-eyed viewers watching the live stream will notice there's no Liam tonight. He's, uh, he's got a slight family uh, thing that's happening, so uh, wishing him the best today. But uh, I have been joined by a truly fantastic guest. Um, some of you will know him as at Best Ball UK NFL. Uh, he is, of course, the stacking king. He's a writer for NFLDFS.com and NFLBestBall.co.uk. Um, he's a true best ball and DFS guru. Of course, I'm talking about Tom Strachan. So, Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Rich. Really good to be here. Looking forward to the show. No, it's lovely to get you on. Um, it's uh, you know always <clears throat> always nice to bring the best and the brightest, and um, and when they're not available, obviously we can bring yourself up. <laughs> I was going to say you're buttering me up too much there. It must, must have been because I paid out on bets that I lost to you. <laughs> it, was, it was a very timely bet, wasn't it? That uh, t- t- for those of you who don't know, t- Tom and I made a bet at the beginning of the year that uh, that Trey Lance wouldn't be the starter this year for the 49ers and uh, and and Tom Tom paid up on that bet today. So uh, it was charity was very very grateful for that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously, Super Wild Card Weekend is now in the books. Um, what, what did you make of it, Tom? Was it uh, what you well, expected? 
I think we can knock a couple of the words out of that sentence because there wasn't much super or wild about it, was there? It was very, it was just a bit of a letdown in some regards, you know, there was no giant killings, there was no change of leads even really in the games. It was just very much like you could watch the first half of them and they were quite often done. But it was, you know, there was still some great football there. I thought the Bills particularly were incredibly impressive. The way that the Rams dispatched of the Cardinals last night was very impressive as well. So on to the next round of games where hopefully things get a bit more dicey. Yeah, I think I went six for six on my picks this week. So, um, yeah, any week I'm able to do that is is perhaps not the most <laughs> exciting, is it? But, um, yeah, I, I, I echo what you said. The, the Bills and the Chiefs, um, I'm so excited for that game because um, I, I genuinely think that Bills offensive performance, that's, that's probably the best offensive performance I think I've ever seen from a team from start to finish. So, uh, Hopefully they've not peaked a week too early and uh, we, they can come firing again next week. But uh, it will be certainly a good game to, to go and watch. So uh, Liam's obviously not here. So I'm stepping into the cocktail of the week now. Liam went very summery last week. So I thought I'd, I'd contrast that. So I've gone for something a little bit wintry. Uh, this is a hot toddy. Uh, this this is actually one of my mates at, uh, at uni. He used to make this. It felt like every week, every time he had a little tickle in the throat or a little cough, he'd make himself a hot tod- toddy. So that's uh, a double shot of whiskey, a splash of honey, um, whisk it together with boiling water, add a squeeze of lemon and a dash of cinnamon, and uh, and you're good to go. So uh, are, are you a, a hot toddy drinker, Tom? I mean, I'd, I'd have a hot toddy if I wasn't feeling well, but... Um... <laughs> I'm not spending my evening sitting making them. No, I'm uh, much more, if I'm going to drink whiskey, I'd much rather drink it. Just one cube of ice, straight up. Very, very nice and traditional. Um, <laughs> so for those uh, those listeners and viewers that don't know Tom, so how how long have you kind of been playing fantasy football and, uh, and I guess the, the world that we're in right now? I think fantasy football probably going back about six or seven years or so um but much like most people it was only really when the pandemic hit where it was like trying to find an itch to scratch where i ended up deep in the fantasy football world before then i was only in a couple of leagues um whereas now you know the list is quite endless and before then i did play dfs and i did you know i was always looking for different versions of fantasy football but ever since Covid came into our lives. Yeah, it's a pretty extensive list of things to check on a Sunday now. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it, it kind of went a, a little bit mental, didn't it? That that summer, sort of April, May, June, uh, it felt like ev- everywhere you looked, there was new startup drafts. And yeah, I, I've kind of yeah. envy you for diving into best ball rather than uh, than dynasty or something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm still in a healthy amount of dynasty. It's just. Uh... <laughs> Because I tell myself, well, it's all right. The best balls for will take care of itself, and then, yeah, I guess I'm probably in about. I think it's probably about twelve dynasty leagues, and then you know the usual redraft and charity leagues that we all jump into as well. Yeah, and and how did you spin that into kind of starting to produce content? Well, I'd, I'd say it all came back from there. I think one of the first leagues I joined in that kind of period where everyone was looking for startups was the fantasy wildcards who were previously known as the British, British ballers was it at the time. And in that league, there was so many nice guys that sort of like, we're talking about Twitter things that I ended up diving in and 
creating my own Twitter account for my fantasy football ramblings. And from there, it just kind of, you know, I was putting out threads. I was tweeting things that I thought about DFS and best ball. And eventually, Adam, who's Touchdown Tips on Twitter, asked me if I was interested in writing for his site, NFL DFS. And it kind of grew from a very small article at first to something now that takes probably a full day of my life to put together every week. Um, and then the best ball site was just my own because I wanted somewhere to put more and more content about that. And uh, yeah, here we are. It's just one of those now where I started it as a burner account to hide my fantasy football ramblings. And now I barely ever check in on my other Twitter account. I uh, I have to say I envy the, uh, the amount of time that you can put in because it feels like, um, you know, it's, it's got to be one of the most prolific uh, Twitter accounts out there. The amount of content and, just little snippets of information that you're putting out. It's uh, it's mind blowing sometimes. Well, just just don't tell my bosses that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, you know I'm very lucky that I work alone in a in a room on my own for a lot of the time. So all those little points where you take a quick tea break or something like that, and it's like oh, just I'll just have a quick peek at these stats. I'll just have a quick look at this. It's uh, it's a fantastic follow. So if you're not, make sure you're uh, you're checking it out. Um, to be honest, we we were gonna. I was looking around for some significant news to cover off. Uh, that's normally normally Liam's job, and I'll be honest, there, there wasn't much. Um, obviously, we've we've got the Raiders doing typical Raiders things, and yes, they fired Mike Mayock, but the, nobody nobody in the building knew about it, and uh, and it seems like they can't even do a, a simple firing straightforward. Do you think it's going to change the the fortunes of the Raiders moving forward, Tom? I mean. Mark Davis sets the culture in that building, doesn't he? And he didn't want to fire John Gruden. It seemed like, you know, that maybe the Raiders had done enough to keep stay the course this year. But it's also quite hard to know how responsible Mike Mayock was for anything that was going on because it was so clearly John Gruden's team. John Gruden was hired with a 10-year contract. He was hired before Mayock, but... You know, it's very easy to blame Mayock for some of the draft busts, but he had an okay record hitting on some of the later picks and he drafted Max Crosby, who looks like a star. So personally, I just kind of saw the news and not being a Raiders fan, I just felt very blank to it. It was quite hard to really care. Yeah, I think it's it's harsh because I think he's kind of got this reputation that he didn't do very well. Um, yeah. But, you know, John Gruden had control of the final 53 John Gruden had control and final say on every draft pick. Like, it, that's got to be, I don't know the stats, but that's probably the only GM job in, in the entire NFL where you're not getting final say on a draft pick and you're not getting final say on the 53. So it's it's hard to sit here and criticise him as, you know, underperforming when I'm not really sure how much, how much final say he actually did have as such. Yeah, I don't think long-term it's going to tarnish his reputation. And I would imagine that one of the benefits of this is that we get him providing his excellent draft coverage back on the air sometime. But perhaps he gets another chance down the line. You've got to imagine that it's right about now as all these GMs are getting hiring, it's very much food for thought for them to be careful what they signed up for. And I wouldn't be surprised if it keeps someone like Daniel Jeremiah a long way away from taking a front office job. Yeah, I do wonder if it's going to create a bit of a bidding war 
whether we're going to see NFL Network and ESPN and all of that going after Mike Mayock and uh, can almost write himself a blank check as such. He just needs to get himself on the old Five Yard Dynasty podcast, doesn't he? There you go. That's, that's you know, life lifelong dreams of his. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but the the only other news. I don't really know how serious it is, but there were some rumours that, that Jimmy G's got a shoulder sprain, should be okay to play. Do you think this could potentially open the Trey Lance door or do you think that's that's well and truly shut? Well, I, I've shut my emotional Trey Lance door for this <laughs> year, but I think given that Jimmy managed to get through this thumb issue, which sounded far more painful and far more of an issue, I'd be very surprised if he's going to, let Trey Lance get out there and take first team snaps this week. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think that they've they've said that he should be playing. Um, it's hard to see, as you said, but anyone really sit in the playoffs, isn't it? You know, it's unless it's yeah. a serious kind of season ending injury. It's it's one that he's probably just going to suck up and and get through, isn't he? But that brings and us that's... to the uh, the kind of main bulk of of the podcast so today we're going to continue the uh, the series we're going to continue working through our positional reviews we've got tom on to talk about the tight ends um let's, let's start at the top tom i know it's it's what everybody's dying to hear you talk about he was he was the tight end one both in in points per game and overall uh, and that was mark andrews so uh, as a well-known Ravens fan. What, what do you think about Mark Andrews long-term? Well, I think long-term, it's it's crazy how much recency bias and, you know, fantasy Twitter, we're well-known for recency bias affecting us. But so many people have suddenly crowned Mark Andrews as the tight end one in Dynasty. And whilst I've got a huge amount of Mark Andrews in Dynasty best ball redraft, I've never... I'm not quite sure I'm there on tight end one yet. I think, you know, my argument for Andrews was always that he could get to this level. And if you looked at the performances he was able to give on a per snap basis, he was always churning out very high fantasy production. You go back to Lamar's 2019 season where he was unanimous MVP. Mark Andrews was a tight end five that year but he only played on 44% of snaps. He only ran a route on 295 plays. I mean, for reference, this year, 23 tight ends ran more routes than that. So it really showed how well Mark Andrews was able to produce that year. And he was only 48 points behind Travis Kelsey. So it always felt like, as a Ravens fan, if you could extrapolate that production over a higher snap count, then you could get up there. But this season was the perfect cocktail for Andrews. You know, there was no running game at the start of the season and Devonta Freeman and Latavius Murray did come along well as it went on. But the defensive issues got worse as the season went on, like to the point where just absolutely nobody's playing cornerback. So the Ravens were forced to pass at the highest rate they've done under Lamar. And as long as Andrews was able to sustain his target share, he was always going to be able to put up good numbers. And I'm just not sure we're going to see that from them again next year. Like, you know, I'd like to think that Marcus Peters will be back out there, Marlon Humphrey will be back out there, and the defence will be a bit more physically imposing. I'd like to think that, you know, J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards will be back out there and that the running game can happen. And the last sort of point that I'll put is, 
when Lamar went down injured, did anyone really expect Mark Andrews to be able to put up those kind of numbers with Tyler Huntley and Josh Johnson? It's like, it really felt like an outlier of a season. And as much as I love Mark Andrews, he's in early best ball drafts for next year, he's going with an ADP of 25. And if that kind of reflects in dynasty and he gets pushed up similarly high, he's just not somebody I'll be drafting a lot of this year. Yeah, it's... I, I really liked Mark Andrews and I think he was he was one of those guys that I was very comfortable rostering. He was kind of the last higher priced guy that I'd go and get. Um and and I was really impressed with, with him this year. But I think that the you know, you talked about the recency bars and, and, and it's gone a little bit crazy for me. Um I'm really struggling, struggling differentiating kind of the the top four tight ends as I have them in in rankings. Um, he, he's the tight end two currently in consensus behind Cole Pitts. He's, he's tight end four for me, um, but pretty much I've got him valued exactly the same as Kittle, Kelsey, and Pitts. Um, and it, it's just, I think that. You touched on it being the you know the perfect kind of cacophony of situations for him, and I just wonder if we're going to see a larger emphasis on the running game. I think we're going to see Rashad Bateman step in and and take a larger role. And I, I just worry that whilst Mark Andrews, don't get me wrong, is going to be an elite tight end, I, I think tight end one is just a bit rich for me because I think that this offense is still going to be one of the more run happy offenses. And therefore, fewer fewer path routes for him to get out on. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, going back to you mentioning Bateman, people forget that they Bateman and Lamar really spent very little time together this year. You know, firstly, Lamar had COVID at the start of training camp, and then Bateman was injured for almost the entirety of it and into a good chunk of the season. So, like a good second year bump for him wouldn't be surprising at all. I just, yeah. I think it comes down to that top four, as you said. If you come out of a draft with any of those four, you're going to be plenty happy. And I would have real difficulty taking Andrews over the likes of Kelsey or Kittle or Pitts. Yeah. The the ones that I've got that, that is a little bit concerning. So Mark Andrews, 17.7 points per game. He actually averaged 14.9 points per game with Lamar at quarterback, and he averaged 24.4 points per game without Lamar. Um, now, I appreciate that's, you know, incredibly small sample size, and, and there was a 42-point yeah. game in there, which kind of skews the stats slightly. But if you just look at games with Lamar under centre, he'd have been the tight end three in points per game behind Kelsey and Kittle. And I, I, I think that, for me, puts him in that tier of amongst the others, elite guys rather than him as a you know out ahead on his own yeah I think the only thing I'd say is those last few games were when the cornerbacks and the safeties on the Ravens were really decimated so whilst Lamar wasn't in there it's probably a factor of both of them rather than it just being one thing or the other but yeah I mean I I agree with your outlook on I'm not going to argue famous tight end one this season (laughs) so the uh, the tight end two on the season and I finished, I think it was a, was it four? I can't remember if it's four or five years on the trot where Travis Kelsey has finished as a tight end one. Um, I think it was five, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, and that's obviously Travis Kelsey finished as a tight end two. Do you think that this is the beginning of the end? Do you think that 
we're we're about to see the bottom fall out. Travis Kelsey is a dynasty asset. I think the one thing that stood out for me is, and this is more Tyreek Hill than Travis Kelsey. Like we saw Tyreek Hill's A dot drop to its lowest point of his career. And because of that, Travis Kelsey was no longer hoovering up all, all those targets kind of close at the line of scrimmage. Because we know this offense is predominantly just Hill and Kelsey and whoever else is around. But with Tyree Kill having been being used so much closer at the line of scrimmage, it feels like that got in the way of Kelsey's production slightly. But I, I'm still completely fine having Travis Kelsey on my team. Like, you know, people complained about the Chiefs having a slow start, but over the first like half of the season, he was still the tight end one. He had 12 more points than anyone else. And he had, like, in his first six games, five of them had over 20 PPR points. He just, he has a really high ceiling and a really high floor. And that kind of consistency is so dependable. And I, I'm just not in a rush to get rid of him anywhere. No, I, I think for me, I've, I've got a lot of Kelsey shares. Um, and I'm pretty much happy just, just riding Kelsey out. It's not a guy... You know, for me, I know I sit here and Liam will be laughing, you know, sell at peak value. Um, but to me, Kelsey's one of those guys that I'm I'm happy just riding him until he retires. And I'm happy rostering that asset, knowing that, you know, I'm going to be left holding the bag and I, I'm, I'm never going to get the return on the investment. But for me, the return on the investment is his fantasy production. And, and I'm not looking to sell at peak value because I think he's going to be productive for at least another couple of years. And I think his dynasty value is going to continue to plummet over the next couple of years. And, you know, he's he's currently the Titan 4 in ADP. Um, I've got him ranked to my Titan 3. Um, I think that probably this time next year, he, he he's probably going to be around that fringe Titan 10 in terms of his value. But I still mm. think he's going to outproduce that value for, for at least another couple of years. I think, yeah, like, so we, we're not certainly predicting that the Chiefs are going to, dropping but you know they're not suddenly going to start only throwing 20 touchdowns a year and if you're still predicting the chiefs to throw 30 plus touchdowns a year i'd be happy projecting travis kelsey to pick up between seven and ten of them a year as long as he's a part of that offense so yeah even if he becomes more touchdown reliant and he puts up less yards after the catch i'd still like you say just carry on riding him until Either a good offer lands that's really you have you can't turn down, or until he retires. Yeah, and I, I think look, the Chiefs are probably going to add a piece to that offense this off season, whether that be via trade, free agency, or or in the draft. I'm convinced that they're going to add a third asset, and to me, that that only boosts Travis Kelsey because I think his target share is not going anywhere. But if teams are having to account, you know, I've talked about it a few times this year about teams sitting in that cover two shell and, and asking the Chiefs to, you know, complete 10, 12, 15 play drives. Well, if if you go and stick a, you know, possession, big bodied X receiver on the field that can catch those, you know, five to 10 yard intermediate routes, just move the chains. That's only going to help them. And that's only going to free up space for Travis Kelsey. And I think that the guy is still an elite separator. And I think we've seen, you know, the 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 tight end greats of yesteryear, the likes of Gonzalez and Antonio Gates, 
still be able to produce from a fantasy perspective late into their careers because of that nuance and, and root running ability. And I, I fully expect that to continue. Yeah, I completely agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I, I know it's, you know, he's 32 years old, so it's going to be one of those where the dynasty community just feels like they have to get off him. But I'm definitely fine with it for at least another year or two. Awesome. And then the, the tight end three, again, in finish and in, in points per game. Um, so we at George Kittle. I guess, I guess this gives you an opportunity to talk some more about Trey Lance, Tom. <laughs> well, you know, see as you invited me to. I mean, like, there's a narrative that Lance could be bad for Kittle's fantasy value, and I just, you know, it's just nonsense. We've seen one game with George Kittle and Trey Lance on the field together. And in my opinion, I think the bigger issue is that the Niners have been bad for Kittle's value. Like, over Kittle's career, he set a, a career high in touchdowns this year with six. Like, he hasn't had the chances in the red zone. You go over the last four games, which is one Trey Lance game and three Jimmy G, and he's run 114 routes in that period and had nine catches for 78 yards and zero touchdowns. Like, this is a guy at this end of the season, in the playoffs, should be a huge part of their game plan. And it seems like occasionally they get too focused on how much of a good blocker George Kittle is. But... Yeah, the idea that Trey Lance can't help George Kittle to these numbers, it's its just nonsense to me. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's no reason why Trey Lance can't come in and help Kittle to continue producing at the same level. And yeah, he's, you know, he's 28 years old and he does a huge amount of blocking. So is a, is a concern that he's going to be able to keep going fitness-wise and stuff like that. But yeah, I just... This whole top tier, I have no problem with any of them. And I'll keep, you know, if I've got Kittle on a couple of rosters and I'm not looking to move them anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I think for me, I, I'm, I'm a true believer in Kittle. You know, he talks about these four being in a tier, but I've got Kittle as my tight end one. Um, I think that to me, the move to a, a Lance offense is only going to be good for Kittle. I think it's going to free him up a little bit. I think we're going to see Cole Shanahan get a little bit more inventive with how he's using Kittle rather than just, you know, using him as a, a more traditional tight end like he is now. Um, people talk about him being used as a blocker, but he's he, he's still getting out. He's, uh, this year he got out on 79.4% of passing routes for the 49ers. To give you an idea, Mark Andrews, who's not particularly noted as a blocker, he was at 79.8%. So basically the same route participation rate. So, you know, yes, he is a far better blocker, but he's he's still getting out on on a, a big chunk of routes. Um, he's getting targeted on 25% of the time when he's out on routes, which is, you know, led all tight ends. Yeah. Um, and I just think that for me, I see this offense taking a step forward when Trey Lance comes in. And yes, there will be potential that we see a slight reduction in the number of passing attempts but this is already a run first offense. I don't know how much more it can go run first. I think whilst Trey Lance is going to get his kind of rushing attempts, I think we're probably going to see it eat into the running back and, and Debo Samuel and less so into the, the pass attempts. And I think that for me, 
George Kittle is going to see an increase in touchdown opportunity and his passing kind of route participation and, and target share isn't going to change. So for me, I see Trey Lance as, a, as an uptick um, and I really think that George Kittle is, is an elite guy that, you know, we're talking three, four years and, and should give you that that tight end one potential um, over the next few years. No, I, I agree with that. I think, you know, we've seen it very much with Lamar, like we said. We've seen it with Jalen Hurts, where it's like these running quarterbacks, tight ends quite often become someone for them to depend on. And with Kyle Shanahan, the Niners should definitely be able to put together an offense that, yeah, like you say, eats into the running back production. But as long as you're efficient in the red zone, everyone can still be fantasy relevant. And so far over Kittle's career, he's got 20 touchdowns in the last five years. And to give you an idea, like Travis Kelsey is 43 in that time <laughs> and Mark Andrews is 29 in just four years. So if they can suddenly unlock just even a little more red zone work for Kittle, then I think he can really be that tight end one without a problem. I mean, he's only had eight red zone targets this year. Like that's just not enough for a player of his caliber. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So moving on to the tight end four on the year, I guess this this was the first kind of breakout tight end, if you want. Um, so he was the tight end 31 in August ADP. Um, he finished as tight end four, but was tight end seven in points per game. And that's Dalton Schultz. Um, so Tom, he is a free agent in Dallas, along with Cedric Wilson and Michael Gallup in that receiving room. Do, do you think that Schultz is going to stay in in Dallas. Do you think that he's going to retain his dynasty value kind of moving forward? Or do you think it was a bit of a flash in the pan? Well, it was definitely another perfect scenario. I mean, he did look like the tight end one at the start of the season before Jarwin got injured. But then that and the Michael Gallup injuries definitely meant that they were having to use him more often. But... I mean, I just can't see... The Cowboys are in a bad cap situation because they gave Zeke this terrible contract, which is going to haunt them forever. I mean, they paid Blake Jarwin already, so you're not going to pay two tight ends the kind of money which it would take to get Schultz to stay. And are they going to... You know, I know Jerry always gets his guys, blah, 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 but who do you think is more important, keeping Schultz or Gallup? For me, it would be keeping Gallup. And having to let Schultz walk, take the comp pick and actually try to develop Jarwin into the person that people were telling us he could be a year or two ago. Yeah, I, I think that for me, I just I just can't see a world in which they can retain Dalton Schultz unless he takes a massively undermarket deal. So they're currently 21 million over the cap for 2022. OK, um, that doesn't include a left guard because Connor Williams is a free agent. Um, yes, they can free up some money fairly easily. They could free up about 20 million in cap space if they restructured Amari Cooper. Um, they've potentially got some some wiggle room with both their tackles in Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins. But you've also got potentially, I think, Trayvon Diggs is a free agent as well. Um, yeah. Really? Am I, am I making that up? No, he's 
Yeah, well, Leighton Van Der Esch no. is definitely somebody who's a uh, free agent who they've been saying that they want to sign as well. But yeah, they've got they've got loads of work to do. Yeah, no, I've got that completely wrong. Trayvon Diggs is still still a year away. Um, so <laughs> ignore that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michael Gallup's a free agent. Cedric Wilson's a free agent. You've got um, Dalton Schultz. That, as I said, they've still got this massive hold at left guard. Um, they can't re-sign everybody. Um, yeah. I think that to me, Dalton Shorts is probably commanding that 12 to 15 million range on the open market. Um, I think he's going to be in that sort of second tier of tight ends. And I just can't see them paying him, quite frankly. And yes, you know, you mentioned Blake Jarwin. They can save four and a half million by cutting Blake Jarwin, which I fully expect them to do. I can't see them paying him six and a half million, quite frankly. Um but I just, I just can't see a world in which he's back. And if Dalton Schultz is a free agent and goes to another team, look, the history of free agent wide receiver uh, tight ends is is basically non-existent. The, the the last good one you'd have to go back is Tony Gonzalez going to the Falcons. Um, potentially, you could throw in Jimmy Graham. Um, obviously, he, he went to Seattle in a trade, but he did have one good year um, in Chicago via free agency. But it, it's not good, basically. So. For me, Dalton Schultz is currently going as the tight end 10 in ADP. He's my tight end 12. Um, if he stays in Dallas, then yeah, I'm, I'm probably bumping him up into the top six or seven. Um, but I think if, if he's, as I expect, in a different home, um, I'm probably going to try and wait till he signs for a massive contract and then utilise that to, to sell once everybody's excited about him getting 150 targets in whatever new offence he finds. I tell you where I could use him. Your boys, the Jets. <laughs> the Jets. The Jets could use everyone. Let's be honest. There's, uh, <laughs> there's, there's, there's not many core pieces that we're building around. Um, yeah, absolutely. We've got we've got a gaping hole at tight end. It'd be nice to see um, CSU's go and get somebody. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about spending any big money on any tight end. Um, the Jets. I mean, history yeah, of free agency yeah. isn't exactly good. The, the only other thing, and I know I'm kind of buying into certain dynasty tropes, is he's only 25. So, you know, there's, if I had him in dynasty, I definitely wouldn't be overly worried, but you've probably missed the peak opportunities to sell him. Yeah, I, I think the last peak window for me is when he signs that contract, wherever it is. Um, I think that's your opportunity to, to go and sell. Um, so the tight end five... He was the tight end 10 in points per game. Um, he may be, I think, the most discussed tight end I've ever known in the history of fantasy football. Uh, that's, of course, Carl Pitts. Um, Tom, are you all in on Carl Pitts' tight end one? I think like it's kind of weird because I was, I was very much you know, banging the drum of Carl Pitts won't pay off his ADP all last summer because a large part of my summer is spent drafting numerous amounts of best ball teams and it was very obvious that in redraft he was really going to struggle to pay that off like you know he was into the fourth round of DraftKings ADP and at that price you were choosing him over people like Cooper Cup and obviously there were misses in that area as well but now it seems like people have kind of you know people are declaring him a bust a little too heavily and whilst I don't think the thought process was right to draft him there in redraft and best ball. If you were drafting him in redraft, uh, sorry, in dynasty, 
most smart people like yourself were saying that he wasn't going to pay off in year one anyway so you had to be ready for the fact that it wasn't going to work but I kind of think back to my rookie drafts last year and where he went and I had a 101 in one league traded out of it to a Jaguars fan who took Trevor Lawrence I took Trey Lance at number two of course and then Kyle Pitts went at number three so it's not like if if you'd gone with any of those players ahead of him, it's not like you've had a great fantasy season out of them particularly. You know, really, you look back at last year's rookie drafts, and apart from Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle, Najee Harris, I guess, you know, it wasn't really gold dust for immediate returns. He's 21 years old, and all the kind of metrics that you look, you know, if you pop the hood and take a look underneath, he had a 20% target share, 76% route participation. I think he was third in total yards at the position. And it just really came down to touchdowns, which didn't happen. He had 15 red zone targets, but only five receptions and one touchdown in that area. And I think you were at the game where he scored his one touchdown. <laughs> yeah, just had to like... rub that in, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot I was against the Jets until you said that. But, you know, it's it's incredibly hard for tight ends to finish in this real top two or three unless you're putting up seven, eight, nine, ten touchdowns. Like Darren Waller did it a few years ago, but he had to put up like 90 catches and 1,200 yards to do it. So Kyle Pitts has had a good season. I think, you know, if you were... Anyone who took him as a tight end one in a startup, I wouldn't argue against it whatsoever. I think it just depends how much you're ready to accept that there might be another bumpy year or two in Atlanta before he really starts paying off in an elite fashion. Yeah, I think look, I, I was kind of all in on Carl Pitts um, at the beginning of the offseason last year. And I think that as as it went on, I, I kind of shifted because the price just got to a point that it was ridiculous. Um, I was a, a big believer that, you know, a guy that's drafted as early as his in the NFL, and I did a, a massive thread on Twitter about it, that, you know, yes, he is worth a mid-first-round pick in, in rookie drafts. And I was happy, you know, he was you know, I think he was my eighth-ranked player, and I was happy taking him at that 106, 107, 108 range. But it got to the point where people were taking him at, you know, 102, 103, ahead of the quarterbacks in Superflex leagues, ahead of Najee Harris and Jamar Chase. And it was just obscene. And if you drafted Carl Pitts, it's, it's hard to be anything but impressed. And, and yet it feels like people are disappointed. I'm, I'm not quite sure what they were expecting from him. Um, you know, he had a thousand yards. As you said, yes, he underperformed in the touchdown category. But he's not a tight end. We we think of tight ends as having lower yardage production and higher touchdown production because of the way they're used in the red zone. But that's not him. He he lined up as an inline tight end less than a third of the time. He had 248 snaps as an inline tight end. He had 286 in the slot and he had 237 out wide. He is essentially a wide receiver that masquerades as a tight end. So it's hard to sit here and bang on and say, well, he he underperformed in the touchdown category. You look at the only other tight ends that are utilised in that way, it's Mike Gazicki and Darren Waller. Mike Gazicki caught two tight ends this year, two touchdowns this year. Darren Waller caught two touchdowns this year. Those type of tight ends 
that are used as wide receivers are going to underperform other tight ends in it from that touchdown perspective. And I just think that, look, for me, Cole Pitts, he's my tight end too. I'm, I'm all in on him as a fantastic asset, but I don't see how he can be disappointed because this was expected. You know, he was always going to underwhelm as a rookie because that's what tight ends do. I think, you know, just to play the other side of it, it's like people talk, because, you know, it's one of these onesie positions where we want to find the difference maker. And people made the argument, well, Kyle Pitts is more like a wide receiver. It's essentially getting a wide receiver at tight end. And there were conversations already about, well, will these fantasy sites have to remove tight end eligibility for him and put him as a wide receiver after a year or two? But it's fine. I mean, you know, if you had a wide receiver who put up a thousand yards, they've done a good job for you. But you still want those touchdowns. And, you know, I'm I'm not knocking him. I completely, I'd possibly consider taking him as tight end one. But yeah, it's just, it's a little disappointing that, you know, 15 red zone targets, which is one sixth of his total targets. And he could only come up with one touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I do think that it's going to be interesting to see what the offence um, does as a whole. We've seen rumours that potentially um, Matt Ryan could could be gone. Um, I'm intrigued to see how they're going to work that from a cap perspective, because I think they're paying him something like £45 million. So I think it would have to be a team trading for him and, and potentially the Falcons eating some of that contract to get off him. Um, and if that does happen, you know, are the Falcons completely rebuilding? Does that then mean that Cole Pitts, are we going to see him go the, you know, TJ Hawkinson route where he's suddenly the the one good passing asset on an offence if they also trade Calvin Ridley? Or, or does that offence suddenly plummet and become so poor that, you know, he's going to get a very little touchdown upside and, and red zone looks? I mean... You really, I don't mean to be too harsh to Falcons fans, but there's very little good about that <laughs> team at the minute. Like, you know, they don't have a great defense, they don't have a great offense. Mike Davis has to be gone. Corderell Patterson had a season for the ages, but is it repeatable? Are they going to be able to get that out of him? He's no spring chicken either. He's a free agent. He's a free agent. You look, uh, it's you know. In terms of wide receivers, if they move on from Calvin Ridley, you're talking Russell Gage and a bunch of nobodies. So it could be very easy for Kyle Pitts to end up seeing double coverage for a significant period of time. And as you say, they're kind of in cap hell. And I was looking at the numbers today and getting out of it this year for Matt Ryan looks very difficult. Even next year doesn't look particularly great. No, it's it's awful. They've, they've basically got a good tight end and an elite corner. And and that's basically all the Falcons have got. They've got AJ Terrell and, and Cole Pitts and, and that's that's where you're building. So, yeah, sorry, Falcons fans, not looking particularly great. Um, so the tight end six on the season, um, just old, steady Zach Ertz, finished as tight end 12 in terms of points per game, um, was, was basically really unspectacular, but really reliable. Only had two top five weeks, but finished as a top 12 tight end nine times. I mean, he's a free agent this off-season. Do you think that we could get another usable season out of Zach Ertz, or do you think it's time to chuck him on the, the scrap heap? If Zach Ertz re-signs for the Cardinals, I'm, I'm definitely going back in. I mean, our friend Matt of the Wildcard podcast pointed out that Zach Ertz was tight in 15 until he was traded. 
And then for the remaining part of the season, he finished as a tight end four in points per game. So with Christian Kirk and AJ Green at a contract as well, Max Williams, the only other kind of notable tight end on the on the books, who was always a blocking tight end before this year, and then just had a hot streak of about 15 targets or so. I kind of expect Zach Ertz to stick around. It seemed like he developed a good rapport with Kyler Murray and they're going to need pieces to build this offense back up. And yeah, I'd be completely fine taking him, I think, as long. I mean, I'd assume you could trade probably about a third for him at the minute, given that his age is 31 and he looks like he's at a tough paper round. <laughs> yeah, he's he's not exactly um, high priced at the moment. He's tight in twenty in terms of ADP. Um, I've got him valued exactly that around a third round pick. Um, I think if you're struggling at tight end and and if you're weak, I think there's there's worse things than you can do than than go and chuck a you know a, a cheap pick, a late round pick at Zaka to get him as a throw in in the deal and. You know, hopefully that can buy you another year to to somebody else and and a, a longer term asset. But yeah, I, th- I think if you're expecting him to be a a top five tight end like he, he's been in the past, I think you're clearly mistaken. But I wouldn't be yeah. shocked if we're looking back next year and he's again in that that top twelve range because at the end of the day, he's he's pretty. You know, he had injury issues at the beginning of the year, but he's pretty reliable now, isn't he? Very much so, and he's one of those guys. He, you know, he broke out later in his career, so we're we're very much catching him in his early thirties at a point where it does feel like he's, you know, he's quite an older player. But he's very, you know, he's a great ball catcher. I'd completely be fine giving up a third round to, to if I had a weakness at that spot and just trying to patch up a hole with him for another year. Yeah, absolutely. And then the the next guy, so the Titan 7 on season is Dallas Goddard. Um, I don't know about you, Tom, but for me, Dallas Goddard seems that guy that I quite like him. He seems all right. He's my tight end eight in terms of my rankings. But I, I never want to pay the price that it costs to go and acquire him because he's not he's not a difference maker and, and he just feels like a bit, yeah, he's all right, but, but he's kind of forgettable almost. Yeah, I get that. I, yeah. I mean, he's valued what around late first or so, and beauty's in the eye of the beholder a lot. And a lot of people were waiting on Dallas Goddard to break out with Zach Ertz leaving. So most people who own Dallas Goddard are going to be, I feel like they've got that emotional attachment to him. And I, I do really like him. To me, and, you know, I hate to just bring up my Ravens for the sake of it, but there's something so intrinsically obvious about where the Eagles are with where the Ravens were. You can draw comparisons between Hertz and Lamar, Goddard and Andrews, Devonta Smith and Marquise Brown. And if the Eagles would actually commit to Jalen Hurts and build around him with these draft picks, I can see Dallas Goddard having a really good season next year. I mean, again, it was that trigger point where when Zach Ertz was traded away, Goddard finished the rest of the season from that point on as the tight end five. And he had 830 yards. So it's easy to make a case that next year he could get up over a thousand yards if he's able to stay healthy. And this Eagles offense is a little more consistent, but he's not somebody I'd trade for because I just feel like with a late first round pick, 
there's probably someone else that I'd prefer to give up a late first round pick for. But in startups or in redraft or best ball, I definitely won't be against taking him next year. Yeah, I think he's as as an as a player as an asset. I I like him. You know, he he had a decent racer. Uh, in fact, he he led tight ends in terms of conversion rate. He's very efficient with with what he gets, um, which is all things that that point to him. You know, potentially producing better next year. It's, I guess it's just for me. He's the kind of guy that I just don't like acquiring in startups. It's the point at which I'm I'm either tight end early or not at all. And in trades, I just feel like if I'm paying a late first, I'd almost rather, you know, add a second and, and move up a tier to, to the next load of guys. God, it's not really a player that I, I want to go out and buy. And I feel like you get potentially great return on that investment. Would you rather trade for Goddard or Hawkinson? Oh, definitely Hawkinson. I think if, yeah. if I've got Hawkinson two spots higher, I think if, if we're talking similar price, I'd definitely go Hawkinson because I think Hawkinson's got a much higher upside and I think his ceiling is much higher. Um, and I think that for me at the tight end position, I'd rather, you know, punt for that elite upside because I think that I can, I can replace average production with waiver wires and, and cheap, you know, Zach Ertz's that you can get on the cheap. Yeah. Whereas I could look back in two years' time and TJ Hawkinson's broken into that top four tight end range. I don't see that in the, the, the realm of outcomes for Dallas Goddard. Yeah, the one thing I'd kind of wrote down was uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see Dallas Goddard finish inside the top eight at tight end for the next two or three years. But could I see him finishing in the top four? It's a bit harder to project that. Yeah, he's he's just a meh, isn't he? Um, <laughs> perhaps the sticking on the meh standpoint, we've got, you know, I mentioned him earlier, a wide receiver playing tight end. Mike Gasicki running over 90% of his routes this year as a wide receiver. Again, another free agent. Do you think that he stays in, in Miami? Do you think he's someone you can kind of rely on long-term? Or do you think he could be a... A potential casualty in in a new home. It's one of those where, it's, yeah, I kind of feel like he could stay in Miami because, I mean, Chris Greer, the general manager, could do with a win. Brian Flores has been pushed out, and Chris Greer somehow held on to his job. And it always feels like GMs love re-signing a player who they drafted. So it feels like one which would be quite obvious. And I'm fairly sure Miami are in a pretty good cap situation, but. I mean, last year I was saying Sel Gasicki, he's going to be completely marginalised with Fuller, Parker, Parker and Waddle there. But with the injuries, he kind of looked into this situation where he still had to keep playing the way that he was previously. And I, I struggle to see Gasicki going anywhere in free agency that keeps his value as high as it was here. And as a fantasy asset... You know, yeah, we pointed to the lack of touchdowns earlier, but he did have a few good games where he was reaching over 20 PPR points. And even though, even in a couple of those, they were without touchdowns. So he's just going to be that middling player who, as much like, much like Dallas Goddard, and sometimes you're going to get the spike weeks, but I wouldn't give up anything particularly to go and buy him, particularly if he ends up signing and we see a spike in his volume, uh, a spike in his price. 
Yeah, he's 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 just he's just unexciting, isn't he? I think. Because... Which which is a bit, you know, it's a bit of a harsh way to label him because when you watch him play, he's actually quite an exciting player to watch. But yeah, he's an unexciting asset to have yeah. on your team. Yeah, I mean the guys the guys a complete freak athlete. I think he's you know he's one of the most athletic players ever to enter the NFL. Um, but he he's just unexciting, and and a lot of that is probably down to the way that that Miami offense has run over the last two years and and the way that he is utilized. I mean, this is a guy that that is tight end in, in name only, really. He he lined up as an inline tight end less than a hundred snaps this year. I mean, it's it, it's just it's just ridiculous. He had three games where he lined up t- more than ten times as a tight end. Um I it mean just it it has the feeling of a perfect free agency bust. Like he set career highs in catches and yardage. So yeah, yeah I, I live in fear that this is the guy that the Jets are going to go out and pay and go, oh, <laughs> he, he can be a big slot. We're going to line him up as, you know, as our big slot, like, you know, Brayden Edwards or um, Brandon Marshall or someone like that and and utilise him there. And, and I just think I, I'm very scared that he could be, as you said, a free agency bust. I fully expect him to be back next year with Miami, though. Um, I think we've seen the, the tweets between him and Tua. It seems like they've got decent chemistry. Um, and I do agree with you that I think Chris Gear is gonna gonna re-sign his own and uh, try and show to everybody that he he did such a great job drafting him. Um, the the Titan nine on the season. Um, I'll be honest. It, it, again, another highly highly drafted, highly priced, quite frankly overpriced young tight end Noah Fant. He was the Titan nine. He was the Titan eleven in uh, in points per game. It, it, is the only hope that that we're going to get a new quarterback in Denver? Do you think, or do you think Noah Fant will ever return on his investment? I think there's so many questions about Denver, though. It's like it's not only are they going to get a good quarterback, it's you're going to get a new head coach, a new coaching staff, a new scheme. You're going to end up with a new ownership as well. So it becomes very difficult. Like he's entering the final year of his rookie contract. So it wouldn't be incredibly strange to see him wanting to be paid or traded. So I I find it really difficult to work out what to do with him because even if you go past all that and you look back at his raw talent and, and that like the passing game there, it's so split up between Judy, Sutton, Tim Patrick, Albert Akui Boonham's in had a big role in the team this year. And I just find it very hard to buy in that next season is going to be any better than this. Unless because I don't believe that Aaron Rodgers is going there. I don't believe Russell Wilson's going there. I believe you're going to be stuck with the kind of quarterback tier of Jimmy Garoppolo or similar. Yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, everybody's got these hopes that it's going to be Aaron Rodgers or that that kind of elite quarterback that's going to turn around the uh, all of these amazing dynasty assets in that receiver room and and Noah Fant. But I do feel like it's it's gearing up for them to be yet another bridesmaid, not the bride, and and never get that yeah. Peyton Manning two point kind of thing. Um, I mean, I guess for for me, I like the player Fant. I just. I think he's he's constantly overpriced because of the draft capital. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced he's the best tight end on this roster. Um, in that, I think that Albert O is actually better. I just think that because of the draft capital, because of 
um, you know, the, the way that they valued him, he's still being used at that Titan one. But if you look at a lot of the advanced stats, if you look at a lot of the usage rates, I think Albert O could potentially be a, you know, a better tight end if no offense was shown the door. So you mentioned trade. Perhaps that's my, my one dream is that maybe Noah Fant does get traded somewhere and it, it can unleash Albert O. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely one of those where I just, if I have him, which I've got him in one league where it's a two tight end league. And for there, I'm just holding it. It's, it doesn't seem to make sense to sell him aggressively or in leagues where I don't have him his value seems to be around a second or mid-second or so so it's like it doesn't feel like there's been enough of a dip for me to be interested in buying him and for you know all the offense being spread out last year he led the team in red zone targets and it just didn't turn into anything particularly usable yeah i i just think he's he's just a bit of a nothing player at the moment in that nobody wants to buy him you can't sell him so he's, he's just kind of sitting on rosters waiting waiting for something better to happen. But uh, moving on to the tight end 10. So, again, another kind of breakout tight end. Hat tip to Liam. He did, did call him at the beginning of the year. Um, Dawson Knox finished as the tight end 10. He was actually the tight end 8 in points per game. Um, is under contract in that high-powered Bills offence. Um, do you think that we could be seeing potentially a the next guy to break into that elite tier could be Dawson Knox? I think it's tricky because, you know, we kind of hit that point where the touchdowns count for too much production points. So, you know, Dawson Knox had nine touchdowns and only put up 587 yards. He finished 10 points behind Kyle Pitts on the season, but 400 yards behind him. So it's like, it would be really nice to see him go out next year and put up like another 200 yards or so on there. And it's possible because, you know, Cole Beasley's contract's very cuttable. Emmanuel Sanders is out of contract. And it feels like Dawson Knox has established himself as a real trustworthy part of that passing game. You've got to look at the kind of throwaway ball on Saturday night that turned into a touchdown against the Patriots. So he's the kind of tight end that I'd be quite happy to gamble on at the minute like I'd be quite willing to pay the second round pick or so and just bank on the fact that even in this quite busy receiving group he still was second on the team in red zone targets with 19 which was still quite some way behind Stefan Diggs's 34 it's you know it's a high power offense and you just want pieces of it that you can get and second round it just doesn't feel too expensive for that yeah i i guess my my concern is that target share number so he's at 13.4 percent um no other tight end in in the top 12 saw less than a 16 and a half percent target share so yes he you know he was very touchdown reliant he was doing more with less and we could see an uptick if emmanuel sanders and colby's can move on as, as you suggest but I just I'm concerned that he's going to be uh, a kind of a second or third option at all times in that op- offense and never really carve out that kind of elite upside. I think that if you can get him as a you know a late tight end one in that sort of tight end ten to twelve range, then I think that's I'm comfortable paying that price. 
um, in startups, as you know, you talked about draft picks. I'd, I'd probably pay a mid to early second for him, um, maybe even a late first in the tight end premium. But I, I just worry, yes, he's got that elite upside. Yes, he could eat, break out even more so. But I'm a little bit concerned that when somebody is, you know, breaks out, but only has that small kind of peripheral numbers, those underlying numbers of that target share, you know, he had 11% a yard market share. Like that, that's really tough to see that as sustainable long-term when he's not carved out that kind of bigger role. Yeah. I think the, the only thing I'd add is that it just, his floor felt very secure. Like even in the games where he wasn't scoring touchdowns, he was regularly putting up double digit points and, you know, whilst that doesn't necessarily win you a week, it was consistent enough that it doesn't kill you. And if I can get that for a second rounder over the likes of somebody like Mike Gesicki or so, I'd take that quite happily. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 fair. That's fair. Um, so then the last two, I'm going to lump these two together because they're they're kind of slightly linked i guess in terms of patriots tight ends so uh, so hunter henry was the tight end 11 um he was the 14th tight end in points per game and then rob gronkowski was the tight end 12 and he was the complete opposite he was the tight end four in points per game so let's start with kind of gronk um obviously had an incredible season when he was on the field um but that was obviously fairly fairly shortly lived because he you know battled injuries throughout do you think that we've got the potential for Gronk to, to produce again? Or do you think that we could potentially see retirement in the off-season and, and nothing more? I, I just struggle to see him retiring right now if Brady doesn't. And Brady, this is the first time in years where there don't seem to be the questions being asked of whether Brady's going to retire. It's just a foregone conclusion. He's going to come back next year and throw for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns or whatever. And if Brady's there and if Gronk's there, then I'm just completely fine to either go out and pay the very small amount that it costs to get Gronk or to just leave him on my bench at age 32 until he retires because what you get for selling him just isn't worth it. Yeah, yeah. You, you, he's one of those players you've just got to ride to the end because he's aged out. You're getting nothing in a trade for him right now. Um, and then Hunter Henry, another one of these meh tight ends that, you know, just feels like he's touched down, needs a touchdown to, to have a good week. Are you are you a believer? Do you think he could do anything next year? I kind of surprised myself a little with Hunter Henry. And I feel, I think I am in on Hunter Henry for next year. Um, you know, he's put up a couple of seasons back to back now where he's been pretty much healthy, which was a knock on him for a while. And the relationship that he's formed with Mac Jones, it just feels very solid. I, you know that this New England offense is going to be run first. We know it's not going to be fantasy gold anytime soon. But it just feels like Hunter Henry has become the main passing option in that offense. It feels like the relationship he's got with Mac Jones, there was a lot of quotes this weekend about how close they are. You know, when Hunter Henry signed there the day after Jonu Smith or whichever way around it was, everyone was either team Henry or, or Smith. And Jonu Smith just seems completely out of the picture now. It wouldn't be surprised if he was healthy scratched for game days. But like Hunter Henry is leading the team in, you know, in red zone targets. And I always find these kind of young 
quarterback relationships with their tight ends are ones which I want to latch on to. Like you go again back to Lamar and Andrews or look at Trevor Lawrence with Dan Arnold this year. There was a period where they were producing nicely. Fields and Komet, it's like, it just feels like a good safety outlet and I don't have any faith in Bill Belichick to either get a good wide receiver and free agency or draft one. So yeah, I'd be fine rolling with Hunter Henry as not necessarily my tight end one on a competing team, but if if I had a competing team and I could pick up Hunter Henry for a couple of third round picks or so, then that'd be a great bit of business in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think he is very touchdown reliant and you know he's more touchdown reliant than any other fantasy tight end really in, in the, the, the top twelve. But I just think that you that that's not necessarily a bad thing at the value he's costing, you know, and I, I appreciate I said that with Dawson Knox, it, it was a bad thing. And that's because Dawson Knox co- is costing you more than Hunter Henry. And I think yeah. that Hunter Henry is, you know, as you said, he, he's, he's basically two thirds, like he's going in the tight end 15 to 18 range in ADP. Like he's a mid tight end two. And this is a guy that you can basically plug in every week. You never feel great about it, but you know that he'll kind of get you out of hole and and he's he's a, a solid tight end two to have in your roster. Um, you know, back back to that excitement level. He's he's not someone that's going to excite you and you know think that you've nailed it. But if you want to wait on tight end in a startup and avoid those kind of elite guys, that's a guy that I'm potentially targeting late on. I'll probably target someone like a Hunter Henry that I can get for cheap, and then that I'm st- I know is steady and then I'll go and target someone that I think's got elite upside a Cole Komet or someone like that that could break out in a big way and and basically try and platoon those two to to give me you know uh elite production but I know I've always got that safe option with with Hunter Henry no I, I agree I think it's just one of those words like you know I like to have faith in good coaching and it burned me a bit with Trey Lance and Kyle Shanahan this year, but Bill Belichick and uh, Daniels, they're going to keep the Patriots going towards the red zone. They've got a good system in place, and as long as they're scoring touchdowns, then Hunter Henry has a good chance to keep scoring touchdowns himself. Yeah, exactly that. So the the, the two that are kind of worthy mentions, I guess, um, so TJ Hawkinson was the Titan 13, but was the Titan 6 in points per game. Darren Waller was the tight end 16, but was the tight end five in points per game. Um, I mean, obviously, very highly priced. Quite disappointed if you owned them, given the fact that they they did suffer those injuries and, and struggled all year with them. Do you think that they can return on investment this year? Is there one that you perhaps prefer over the other? Yeah, I kind of lean Hawkinson, which surprised me a bit because I was quite in on Darren Waller this year in best ball and redraft. But, I mean, Darren Wall has only had one season where he scored over three touchdowns. And Derek Carr is somebody that I always worry about his ability to support fantasy options. And with Hunter Renfro breaking out this year, it just, even though Darren Wall saw good usage in the last couple of games, I'm just not there with this Raiders team at the minute. And, you know, perhaps Brian Edwards breaks out at some point and that makes it even harder. But I just, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode with them. Whereas with Hawkinson, I felt really 
really impressed by what I saw from the Lions this year. And, you know, there's a bit of chatter amongst people that Eamon and Brown's going to eat into Hawkinson's target share. But for me, it's that thing of they're going to be infinitely a better offense with them both on the field than they were in the parts of the season where they both, where it was either or. And yeah, I think I'd like, for example, when I was kind of looking at your rankings and trade values today and looking over some of these stats, part of me was thinking about selling Andrews for Hawkinson plus because I have a lot of Andrews. And if I can capitalize that on that a bit and, Whilst Hawkinson's values dipped, it just seems like a good trade to make to me. Yeah, I, I quite like that as a move. Obviously, it depends what that plus is um, as mm. such. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I think that TJ Hawkinson is, and I think Darren Waller as well, they're both guys that are going to see a dip in value this off-season because it, we're very much of what have you done for me lately. And I think that people are going to, kind of remove those two from that elite four that we sort of talked about. And, you know, I, I can't, you mentioned about some Brown eating into Hawkinson's target share. I, I can't get my head around that. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an awful lot of target share to go around and there's not many other options. Hawkinson had a 20% target share this year. That means there's still 80% targets to go around. And, um, you know, there's only so many that some Brown and uh, DeAndre Swift can, can eat up. Um, I think that, you know, for me, I'm sniffing around values of both of these because I think that I've still got them as my tight end five, tight end six in Dynasty. Um, and I think that if people are starting to get scared that Hawkinson is injury prone and won't ever truly break out and that Darren Waller is on the downturn of his career, I think they could be some decent kind of buy cheap options that I think could could easily produce, you know, tight end one numbers overall tight end one numbers because I think that for me after those top four it's very much a tier of these two and then then not much else yeah I'd agree with that and then the only other guy that that I kind of wanted to touch on slightly um was Pat Fremuth um obviously had a, a very good rookie year um do you think that he's the next guy that could break into that elite tier or, or do you think that with a new QB, with you know plenty of opportunities and and people that he's competing targets with, um, do you think he could be another young, highly priced tight end that uh, that shocks people? I think I think fantasy Twitter is going to talk themselves into it. Definitely, um, it's just like you know we've got today Mike Tomlin saying that it's going to be between Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, possibly fit. He's got to say that. There. What else could he say? Yeah, and obviously that's that's that until it isn't that. But I just, I, I like Fryermuth. I've got him in a couple of places where I took swings on him in rookie drafts last year, and I've been very pleased with what I've got out of him. But the leap from where he's at, sort of like in those kind of early teens range, up to the elite tier is such a drastic game change and he had a couple of nice games this year and you know points where you'd see almost double digit targets but the kind of consistency that you need to see that is huge and with Pittsburgh's quarterback situation and their offensive line and I just 
you know, Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, I just struggle to see it happening for him next year. Perhaps further down the line, if they decide not to keep Chase Claypool around, if they don't re-sign Juju Smith, if Schuster, perhaps it's possible, but I'm not buying into it for the immediacy. Yeah, I think it's it's tough for me because I think as a dynasty community, we overvalue age at tight end massively. You know, you see... Earth Smith, Cole Kmet, Adam Troutman were all top 15 tight ends in ADP last year in the offseason. And it's like, you know, none of those are at the moment. And I kind of feel like whilst Pat Framey has shown more in his rookie year than any of those have throughout their career, um, I do worry that we, we might be getting overpriced slightly. Um, I think he's got elite upside, but he is very much a risky pick. Um, it's not a guy that I'd I'd be drafting. It's probably not a guy that I'd be going out and trading for at the moment. Um, and if I've got him, I'm probably just holding because I don't think you're getting fair value on him at the moment if, if you're selling him. Um, I'm very excited about what he could be, but it does feel like it could be a bit of a trap. And, um, you know, this time next year, we're looking back and, He's in. The, he's he's one of these other young tight ends that's kind of we've hyped up too early and and hasn't really produced to merit the value. Yeah, I think you know what he's done in his rookie season is much more traditional what we'd expect from a rookie tight end, isn't it? You know, you look back to some of the guys that have come in and it's not necessarily expected of them to produce straight away. And as the season goes on, they do really well. And then we get a little bit carried away. And then come August, somehow they've crept up to like a 10th round best ball or redraft ADP. And all of a sudden you're like, well, I'm only getting eight points a week out of him. This doesn't seem quite like it was a good idea. Yeah, I, I think I think it's it's got potential to pay off massively, but it's also got the potential to completely blow up in your face, isn't it? So, uh, so yeah, yeah. Take, take the risk at, uh, at, you, at your own wish. Um, but that concludes concludes the pod for us this week, Tom. So uh, thank you ever so much for, for coming on. It's been fantastic to have you. Um, I know we mentioned it at the top, but please remind everyone, where, where can we find you? Where can we uh, see your uh, your constant Twitter stream of uh, useful facts and info and, uh, and read your good work? Uh, yeah, so I'm on Twitter uh, at BestBallUKNFL. Or you can find me on my website, nflbestball.co.uk, which it's uh, definitely best ball season's fast approaching on us. And uh, I'll be rejuvenating the website and pumping out content on there till September comes. And whilst the playoffs are still going on, I'll be writing every week on nfl-dfs.com. And you can find my DraftKings breakdowns of every player and every every match on there and yeah just thanks for having me rich keep keep doing what you're doing no thank you very much Connor. it's been great to have you and uh yeah if if you are looking for for best ball leagues i'm sure tom will be pumping out an awful lot through the off season um, less than last year <laughs> so uh, so yeah go and go and check that out and uh, it's always good fun and, and very well run um, but that concludes the pod uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, the final in our review show got another great guest lined up um, hope this weekend's playoffs perhaps brings a little bit surprise and isn't isn't quite so straightforward but uh, we will see you again next week
HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.